Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. As we continue in our series, The Coming of Jesus, celebrating the Christ in Christmas. As we, uh, Pastor Matt got to preach last week, knowing God. And as he preached to us that it's good to know that God exists, but do you truly know God? If you did, you would know that when he came to earth, he was 100% human and 100% God. Let's see what we, uh, God's word has for us this morning. Let's bow and pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we praise you because you are the giver of all good things. Lord, we just thank you for your truth this morning and that we get to hear it. Lord, I just ask that you open up our hearts and our minds uh, to the awesome wonders of your truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we are into the Christmas season, uh, there's a lot of focus on the, the reason for the season, which is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there it is. So this is the focus. As Christians, it's important because, you know, the holiday has been taken over by consumerism or just by different things. Um, so it's, it's important for us as Christians to just keep pointing the world back to the birth of Christ. It's very important. I mean, how awesome is that, that God actually came in the flesh so that we may know him? It's usually depicted uh, similar to this, uh, a manger or a cave where they kept animals. And you see uh, Joseph and Mary and, and baby Jesus and, and people bowing. Sometimes you'll see one and it's kind of not really the biblical uh, picture. You'll see the wise men bowing down at, at, the, at the, the, um, the manger little cradle with baby Jesus. That's not really how it happened, but that's okay. They're trying to encompass the whole story in one picture. But this is, this is the traditional sense of what took place that night. Uh, we have this tradition in our family um, my sister's family, the Hardys, we go and we have what's called fake Christmas every year. They go up to Missouri for Christmas to join my brother-in-law's family. So actually tonight, uh, later on today, we'll be having fake Christmas. One of the things we do, we have a big meal, uh, which is awesome. That's my favorite part. No, just kidding. We have a big meal, and uh, one of the things we do is we'll, we'll take this, like, 100-year-old Bible, and we'll pass it around. We'll open it to Luke 2, to this story, and we'll all take turns reading verse by verse, uh, just, you know, so we get a good picture of what took place that night. Now, it's important to constantly point people back to the birth of Christ, but as we continue in this series, I get to preach my favorite part of this story which won't happen for another 30-something years after this scene. It's the reason why baby Jesus came in the first place, because he didn't stay a baby. I'm talking about the death, burial, and most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, wait, Pastor Jared, I think you got your holidays mixed up. Isn't that Easter? Well, yes and no. But I had an old pastor tell me one time, 
every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Amen? Amen. It's wonderful to celebrate the reason for the season, which is the birth of Christ, but we cannot fully appreciate this unless we remember the why he came. And that's why our sermon title this morning is this, He Came to Conquer. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 14. You see, when Jesus came, they knew there was something special about him. And there was even a little confusion as to what he was there to do. Some believe he was there to overthrow the powers of that time. But he came to conquer so much more than mere humans. He came to conquer sin and death on our behalf. So when we place our faith in him and dwell with him for eternity, and he did this through the resurrection. Let's look at our verses and uh, get into the word this morning. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 14. You could follow along on the screen. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles." Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I love where Paul starts arguing with himself. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Some strong words there at the end. But if we took all 14 of those verses and we wrapped them up into one main idea, we would get this. The gospel message hinges on the truth of the resurrection, and we can fully place our faith in it. The gospel message hinges on the truth that Jesus was actually dead and buried and resurrected in the flesh and we can fully place our faith in that it happened. Let's break down these verses to see why that's true. Paul gives us some good stuff this morning. In, in this, these chunks of verses, he gives us some great evidence to believe that this actually happened. But I like how he starts off this as Paul usually does. He reminds us of the truth of the gospel. 
Look at verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the the scriptures. So he says, right, first off, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Paul always brought things back to the truth of the gospel. It is the most important piece of history that human that, that mankind has ever received. Paul always wanted to back everything he said by the truth of the gospel, so he starts off there. So what is the gospel? He breaks it down very simply in verses 3 and 4. As Pastor Steve said last night, he follows the kiss rule. Keep it simple, stupid, but I'll say silly, you know, because I'm not as rough and tumble as Steve is. <laughs> he says... Jesus died to pay for our sins because we could not pay for them. He was dead and he was buried. He was resurrected physically on the third day, defeating sin and death. Paul hinged all we believe on the resurrection, which I'll give you, uh, which we'll see here in a minute. He thought it was the ultimate proof that Jesus was who he said he was and could do what he claimed he could do. But I also like how he also stamped everything like this in accordance with the scriptures, because he knows that everything that we say should be backed by God's word. Amen. Amen. See, Paul was a master of the Old Testament. Obviously, the scriptures back then, he was talking about the Torah as he was training to be a top level Pharisee. In the Jewish religion, he probably had the first five books of the Torah completely memorized, if not the whole book. He knew all the verses that talked about Jesus coming to earth and dying and raising again to defeat sin and death. Paul is setting up his argument, but he's placing all this importance on the resurrection. He says, remember the gospel, guys, the death, the burial and the resurrection. What he's doing is he's about to set up an argument, but he's going big picture first. Hey, guys, look at the the gospel. And then what he does next is he kind of narrows it down, and he's going to start specifically talking about the resurrection. And that brings us to our first point. The mysteries of God can only be understood through the truth of the gospel. That's where everyone has to begin. I, I, I talk and, and sometimes even debate, but nicely discuss most of the time, a lot of times with atheists, and they're just like, I don't believe this about the things of God, or I don't, I'm not sure about this, or I'm not sure about that, but they don't understand the gospel. We, you have to start with the truth of the gospel before you can start to argue all these other things about God. You have to, as Matt preached last week, you have to know God. If you don't fully understand and trust the gospel, you can't fully understand these other theological truths. So Paul reminds us about the truth of the gospel, and then what he goes into next is one of my favorite things. He's going to give us evidence. He's going to say, listen, what I'm about to tell you guys, what I'm going to finish up these 
chunk of 14 verses with. I'm going to hit you with a truth, but first I'm going to give you a bunch of evidence that you can actually look at logically to believe what I'm going to tell you next. Paul gives us evidence of the truth that the resurrection actually happened. Look at verses 5 through 8. Talking about the resurrection in, in verse 4, he goes into verse 5. And that he appeared to Caiaphas, which was Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. They passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He gives us three major evidences to look at. First, we see that Jesus was seen by the disciples and about 500 people. So what's the big deal about that? Well, he taglines it with, you know, many, this is about 20 to 30 years ago, but many of those people that saw the resurrected Christ after his death and burial walking around are still among us today. If you don't believe me, go ask them. It's a big deal. He's giving us evidence. You can go ask them. It was only 20 or 30 years ago when this took place. Next, he says, he, in verse 7, he appeared to his brother James. Why is that important? Think about that. Let's say, you know, you're a little kid and you, your parents get divorced or you know, the, a spouse dies and your dad remarries and now you have a half-brother that you grew up with. You saw him born. He's only known you as a sibling, a sister or brother, your whole life. Who better to ask than his brother James? James, who became one of the leaders in the church of Jerusalem, was thrown off of the temple roof proclaiming he saw his brother resurrected. Think about that. Do you think James knew who Jesus was? He went to his death proclaiming, yes, that was my brother Jesus. And it was such a powerful thing in his life, he gave his life proclaiming that truth. Then in verse 8, last of all, as Paul is writing this, untimely born, because he wasn't around then, he appeared also to me. Did you hear what happened to Saul? If you know this story, Saul, who became Paul, Saul, as I mentioned before, was trained to be a top Pharisee of, of the law. He was Jewish. He hated Christians and Christianity. He made it his life's work to destroy and persecute Christianity. He wanted to eradicate it off the earth. But something happened on the way to Damascus. He ran into the resurrected Christ. It changed him forever. Now, some skeptics might say, oh, okay, well, what you're doing is you're circ using circular reason. You're using the Bible to prove the Bible. Well, there's, you know, evidence inside the Bible. And guess what? There's evidence outside the Bible. Nine secular non-Christian sources that talk about this. Josephus, a Jewish historian. Tacitus, a Roman historian. Pliny the Younger, a Roman politician. 
Phlegon, a, a freed slave who wrote the, uh, the histories of his time. Lucian, a Greek sat a satirist. Celsius, a Roman philosopher, an anti-Christian. Marbar Serpin, a prisoner of awaiting execution. Suetonius, Thallus, these all were ancient writers that wrote about Christ. This Christ man that had this follower, these followers called the Way, because he performed great miracles, was put to death by crucifixion, was buried, and his body went missing. Then he was seen by hundreds of people who many went to their death proclaiming that it was the resurrected Christ. If only there was proof. And some might even say, hey, you know what, many could be fooled to giving their lives for dying for a lie, right? Some people can be tricked into giving their life, dying for a lie, but how many people do you think would die for a lie they know they made up? All of these people would have known that what they were saying was untrue, and they went to their deaths proclaiming it was the most important thing that ever happened to them in their life. Brings us to our second point. We can have the utmost confidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was an actual event in human history. It was an actual event in human history. I love how some of the writers of the, of the New Testament start their books out with, listen, we're not, we're not get, giving you this, these myths or cleverly you know, devised stories of man. We're writing down what we saw. We're giving you what actually happened. Many people can scoff at the idea that a man was raised from the dead. It can't happen. No one could be dead for that amount of time and suffer what Jesus suffered and then, you know, resurrect. But they can't deny it was a, it was a historical event discussed by non-believers outside of Scripture. Or explain why the disciples went from hiding scared to proclaiming the resurrected Christ until their death. Why over 500 believers claim they saw him. Why Jesus' own brother James would not deny that it was his brother resurrected. Think about that. He's up on the temple roof which they said was some 100 feet high, and they're getting ready to push him off. All he had to do was say, it's a lie, and they would have let him live. We made it all up. It wasn't really Jesus. For some reason, we wanted to give up everything good in life and be persecuted and go through all these terrible things because that's what we do. Why can't they deny this? Because it actually happened. You know why people deny this? And I'll tell you the truth right now. It's because they don't want to think about a God that they're accountable to. It's not a, it's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. It reminds us of our main idea. The gospel message hinges on the truth of the resurrection, and we can fully place our faith in it. Don't ever let anybody... make you believe that what you believe is nonsense. The person saying that has never properly examined the evidence. So why is this so important? Why is this resurrection such a big deal? Well, well Paul goes right back into, 
He gave his evidence, and now he's going to give you the reason why. In verses 12 through 14, I read an article, and one uh, church heretic said this, which is funny because when I wrote this, I'm like, why am I saying church heretic? That's a Pastor Matt thing. And then I thought about it, and I'm like, that's also a Mike Schifoni thing. I think it's the beard. I think once you start growing your beard out, you like want to start calling out heretics in the church. It's a weird thing. But anyways, this one church leader, who I would call a heretic, said we should stop talking about things like the resurrection because it's just too weird for people to grasp. We should just stop talking about things like that because it's weird. It weirds people out. It's hard to explain. Really? I mean, you believe in this all-powerful God who created space, time, and matter by the words of his mouth, but talking about a guy being raised from the dead is weird? Well, Paul says we need to talk about it, so let's talk about it. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how could some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. See, verse 12, Paul's talking about the fact that many in the church were denying Christ's bodily resurrection and that one day will be resurrected. Let me tell you, folks, he's saying it right here. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no forgiveness of sin and we can't dwell in heaven. That's why Paul hinged everything on the truth of the resurrection. And then he has that drop the mic moment. He says, if everything I just didn't tell you is true about the resurrection, our faith, our religion is absolutely useless and should be abandoned. That's essentially what he's saying. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, what I'm doing right now is in vain, it's useless, and your faith, useless. Because there's no forgiveness of sin, there's no, there's no forgiveness of sin and there's no victory over sin and death. As Mike comes up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin the closing us out. Listen, the birth of Jesus is something to be celebrated, and we should. We should be saying the reason for this season is God coming in the flesh. But the resurrection is something that needs to be proclaimed. Paul breaks it down for us. I'm going to remind you what Paul taught us this morning. The first point was the mysteries of God can only be understood through the truth of the gospel. We can have disputes about, you know, what is heaven going to be like and when is Jesus going to come back and all these different things. But it all doesn't matter unless it's filtered through the truth of the gospel. In fact, I'll tell you this. If I ever get up here and I preach a sermon and I don't tie it back to the truth of the gospel, Matt said he'll beat me with a big stick. I don't think he's kidding. Do you want to know the truth of the gospel, church? Oh, okay. I don't know if you're here. Hey, then you should sign up for our 289 class. But just like Paul, we want to bring everything back to the truth of the gospel. It's 
And it's as simple as this. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, dead and buried and was resurrected, defeating sin and death. Church, know the gospel. Next, we learn we can have the utmost confidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was an actual event in human history. Now, listen, I don't mind coming at this this angle. Most people would, would preach something like this and they'd be like, the Bible says it, that's it. Jesus resurrected, just believe it. But I want to know why I believe what I believe. I want to know why. When someone asks me, how can you possibly believe that this ancient third world guy raised from the dead and, and that changed your life today? I want to give them some evidence. But this morning, if you know Jesus, this should strengthen your faith. This should help you have a strong faith going forward, knowing that there's actual evidence to support what you believe. Or maybe it helped you believe for the first time this morning. Maybe it kind of opened up that door, that cracked that door open just a little bit and helped you to believe maybe there is something to this. Maybe there is something to this, Jesus. You know, some of the most highly intelligent, deep-thinking atheists of all time became believers because they just couldn't get over the evidence for the resurrection. It was like a thorn in their heel. In fact, most of the stuff that I talked about this morning is in a, a book called More Than a Carpenter, written by Sean, uh, Sean McDowell, but written by his dad, Josh McDowell, and then Sean McDowell redid it. I just got like 10 copies if you want one. I think I actually have one in my truck. It's a tiny little book like this, and I'll give it to you. We can have the utmost confidence in the resurrection. History says Jesus lived was crucified, was buried. The body went missing from the grave. Okay, maybe the disciples took it. Maybe the disciples snuck in there and they stole the body of Christ. That would be like a couple of fishermen taking out SEAL Team 6. The Roman guards would have never allowed that to happen. These scared guys that ran away scared are not gonna come in and take those guys out. Okay, well, Maybe the Romans or the Jews took the body. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is this. The next day, the Romans or the Jews would have placed Jesus' dead body in the town square and Christianity would have ended that day. It's nonsense. Third, we learn this. Without the resurrection, Christianity is just another false religion. Christianity is just another false religion without the resurrection. If the resurrection was true, and I hope that I've given you enough evidence this morning to where you believe it is, it's the most important historical event in human history. It cannot be taken lightly. It either happened or it didn't happen. But if it happened, it is the most important historical event in human history. Church, are you like Paul? Are you all in? Now, Paul, like I said before, gave up everything when he ran into that resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus that day. He had to give up his high place, his position, his honor, 
He had probably lost his friends, his family, all his deep-seated convictions. He trashed it all that day so that he could spend his life preaching the gospel and eventually giving his life for it. Reminds us of our main idea. The gospel message hinges on the truth of the resurrection and we can fully place our faith in it. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your truth this morning. Lord, we thank you that you came to earth in the flesh. But Lord, we know that's not where the story ends, that you became a man, you lived a perfect life. You performed great miracles. Lord, you spoke of the kingdom and then you surrendered your life on the cross to pay for our sins. He was then raised, defeating sin and death. And if we place our faith in that, we this morning can be saved. Lord, I pray if there's someone that's hearing this all for the first time and it's coming together and it's clicking, Lord, I pray that they can wait to talk to somebody about it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.